Welcome to this episode of Coffee with Source. We are sticking to the theme today. My guest, Lisa Joe will share her story of resilience, struggles with mental health. Lisa Joe is the founder of Hell to Happiness Coaching. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Emma. Glad I, to be here. I'm so grateful that you're here and what a story and background you have. Can you share with our listeners where the story begins and where you've had to be resilient in your life? Sure. Um, the story really begins when I was a little girl growing up in a violent atmosphere with my, um, my father was a rageaholic. So um, it was not safe. It was not a safe environment. My father loved me, but um, he didn't, he was very sick, you know, he didn't know how to really express that until later on. Um, so uh, when I turned and moving forward, uh, moving ahead um, to when I'm going to really move ahead. When I was 21, I had my first manic episode. I was living in Arizona. I moved or I went to San Francisco uh, on vacation and I had this psychotic which meant that I was seeing things, I was hearing things, I was delusional. Um, I was doing, I was doing really, I just had very bizarre behavior. I had no idea what was happening. I wasn't even off the beam. So I ended up, um, was it I ended up having a specific event where you on some type of substance or? Well, I was doing Kundalini yoga before I left Arizona and it was marked as a beginner class. Well, there was no such thing as a Kundalini beginner class it's, or at least this woman who was advanced. So people were, <laughs> going to her complaining that they were having nightmares about fire and men were saying they were angry. It would just seem like um, it was raising people's kundalinis um, prematurely. Okay. And I feel like that has something to do with, I was also doing, yes, I was doing drugs. I was doing, I was smoking pot. I was doing LSD but the psychotic episode lasted even beyond the drugs. It was like, um, it was kind of like an acid trip the whole entire time I was in San Francisco. How long were you there for? I was there for, well, including the hospitalization, I was there for probably three and a half weeks to a month. I had only planned to stay there for three days. You'd never had one of these episodes before? No. Mm -mm. So what is a psychotic episode for our listeners who may not know or understand the, the depth of it? Well, it's, it starts off, uh, a bipolar psychotic manic episode starts with what's called a hypomania. It's when your sleep pattern gets disrupted, you start not sleeping as much, you start juggling all these projects, and there's... Um, this grandiose ego that you think you're going to be, you're famous or just grandiose thoughts. And then suddenly you're not sleeping at all whatsoever. And you've gone three weeks and you're just, 
you've lost your mind. You, you hear messages in things that aren't really there or seeing things or making connections between things in your memory um, that's projected onto the present that doesn't make much sense. And I journaled throughout all of this, including in the hospital. And looking back on those journals, it, it, I, I pretty much don't look on, on them very often because it brings it all back, the parts I remember. So and then the with hospital, the psychotic, sorry. No, I'm sorry. When you were in the hospital, that's when you received your official diagnosis? No, they didn't know what was wrong with me. They thought I might have schizophrenia. And um, they put me on those drugs, which didn't help a bit. They just made me feel sick. I was just bouncing off the walls. And um, my parents who lived in Colorado came and got me, took me back to Colorado. I was living in Phoenix at the time. I, I lost everything I owned. I never went back to Phoenix. I lived with my family and the doctor there, when I was hospitalized there, diagnosed me with bipolar and put me on lithium, which threw me into a deep, dark depression where I did not want to live. This happened to me several times. I internalized the stigma of mental health throughout my 20s, and I would always get off my medication thinking, if only I get off my medication, then I can prove to the world and to myself that I'm not crazy. And then I would end up having another one of these episodes and losing everything I owned. It happened like three or four times. When you say another one of these episodes, you mean the same hallucinations, hearing the voices. Mm -hmm. And they diagnosed you as being bipolar. Bipolar one. And you Which think is, that's an accurate yeah. diagnosis of? I do. Absolutely. And there's a thing that's, um, you know, there's a stigma against medication, like, well, maybe you don't need medication and you can use natural ways and this, that, and the other. That may be true for some people, but I've tried time and time again, trying to prove to myself that I can handle this. I, I didn't believe in drugs. But those drugs help balance my brain chemistry. So I take them and I use a lot of holistic modalities on top of that. It's not just a, there's no such thing as a happy magical pill. You have to do the, you have to do the work. Mm -hmm. And have you ever been able to, in all of this work that you're doing, uncover the root cause of what triggered the episode or if it's somehow linked back to the trauma you experienced as a child? Well, um, I'm convinced that I was born with um, brain chemistry that was off, but I feel also that it was related to my trauma. It's got to be connected, but who knows? I don't know. Mm. And so as good as mine, really. <laughs> you've started over so many times and yet you're still here speaking with me. So what pulled you through every single time and helped you move forward and get unstuck and start again? Well, being determined to know who I was, I fought and I studied different, um, different 
areas of psychology to try and understand who I was. And then uh, I was, I didn't grow up religious. And um, I went to Thailand when I was 25. And I was at a Buddhist temple waiting. I had three hours to wait for my train to go up to Chiang Mai. And I was at this, um, it was like an abandoned Buddhist temple, but someone had lit a bunch of candles and incense. And I was looking into the temple, looking at the smoke sort of billowing up and the flames. And I just all of a sudden was struck and I just started bawling. And I could hear this voice tell me, you've never been alone. Your whole life I've been next to you. And it was God, what I, higher power, which I call God. Mm. And um, I had studied a bunch of, uh, I got involved with all these metaphysical groups before that happened. And God told me, I want you to go home and disconnect from these groups which were cults and i want you to um to listen i'll guide you mm. and ever since then of course i'm human being and i don't always uh obey the messages that i get from god but when i do i'm never disappointed mm. it always things work out when i listen to guidance you know whether How you call you that buddha or god or goddess I, I call my higher power God. How did you know in that moment, though, given your history, that that wasn't at the cusp of another episode? And here you are halfway across the world and 25 years old and vulnerable. How did well, you know in that moment that that was a higher power speaking to you? Well, I was sleeping. That's one thing. <laughs> Um, I felt like I was really, my feet were planted firmly on the ground and I was in this beautiful culture and, um, I was more present in that moment or in that time of my life than I have been previous to, you know, I mean, it's like night and day compared to those psychotic episodes. That's a very good question though. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Well, I'm curious, right? Because how in that moment, I, I, I thought of myself and I said, how would I have reacted? Would I have thought, oh boy. But I think it's more of an inner knowing, an energetic connection as well. So what did you do? Did you leave Thailand and you decided to start to meditate? What is the, how does the story go? Well, I, um, I went up to Chiang Mai and I flew home and uh, when I was up at Chiang Mai, I bought some Buddhist, uh, little Buddha necklaces in these little, like, um, containers. And I just, I just felt like God was guiding me through my journey through Thailand in learning how to slow my energy down. I just listened to what that inner knowing or that inner voice was telling me, which I didn't have before. It's almost like something turned on, like a switch or a connection was made. And um, I've tried different, I've, I've done many different uh, holistic modalities um, to try and heal. And everything has contributed to my healing. Um, I decided to, 
I, I have this philosophy of um, life, life starts where your comfort zone ends. 100%. And I was always, <laughs> I was always taking positive risks um, to, um, to discover my potential. That's beautiful. What does it sound like when the higher power, your God speaks to you? It sounds like a very quiet voice whispering in my ear, practically at a whisper, unless something dramatic is happening and I need like safety right away, I'm going to die or something, then it's, it's loud mm. or it's through other people. It's, it's through like, if I'm drawn to see a show or a book that's mentioned like three times, I don't know. And these are just examples. There's no real rule, but um, it's just, I, I've grown to learn that God really does work in mysterious ways. And that, that connection and that we're all connected, whether we realize it or not. Mm. And that God works through other people. And I've been blessed to have the most incredible mentors and spiritual teachers in my life that That's God wonderful. has worked through. Yeah. So are you able to look at your life, your past experiences, your childhood, the trauma, all of the episodes, the suffering, the turmoil from a lens now of seeing it clearly with a lesson, message, and gift? Absolutely. I work, uh, I work with people with mental health and addiction, people who are in recovery. And um, I also work at a mental health center as a peer specialist. And my credentialing, you know, therapists, they do their credentials with uh, master's degrees and all that. Well, my credentialing is my experience mm. of going through psychotic manic episodes, suicidal depressions, complex PTSD. Mm. All of this has, has guided me through the suffering, the torment, the confusion, the, the lost soul that I was. I had multiple addictions as well. Um, to get me to where I am today, they were all like stepping stones. Mm. And um, now I'm able to help other people, which is amazing. Yeah. How does that feel? Oh my God. It's a miracle. It feels great. Mm. It's not easy work sometimes, but it, it doesn't feel like a job. It feels like sacred purpose. So what got you through it? It couldn't just have been the voice of God. What else was it? Hmm. Let's see. Um, a lot of journaling, a lot of, I mean, there's been, I was 25 when I heard God's voice and I'm 51 now. And there's, it's just, I, a lot of trial and error and um, studying. I, I used to, my hobby was studying psychology before I entered into the field. So I would keep journals and I would research things and I would study them and I'd go to classes and um, meditations and um, I'd learn how to paint and swim and life becomes like a classroom. I love that. Did you go back to any form of addiction or substance abuse after 
the moment you had with with God at that temple? Did you ever? I actually did. I became. Yeah, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD when I was 33. And then um, I used to work for an airline who moved me to Chicago from Denver when I was 36. I knew I didn't know a single soul. Um, I spent from, I went to India to, uh, for a work project. I came back to Chicago, not knowing anyone. And I became addicted to sex. I became addicted to cocaine. I lost my connection. It's like addictions sever that, feels like it's severed, but God was there. I just closed the door on him. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I got involved with some recovery groups and um, connecting back with people and realizing that I wasn't the only woman going through this. Was there a rock bottom? What was, what was the significant event that marked the beginning of the recovery? The rock bottom was me letting strange men into my apartment without meeting them in public first, having um, unprotected sex and prostituting myself and being, uh, and mixing that with cocaine use. That was my bottom. And what happened was it was my, uh, the night before my birthday, I was coming out of a recovery group and my old drug dealer called and I rushed over there. I dropped everything. And um, after a night of part partying, which wasn't fun for me at that point, it was just an addiction. Um, actually, it was never really that fun. <laughs> um, I went back to my house, my apartment. I, um, I came out of my apartment the next day and I was a smoker at that point. I walked to 7-Eleven, passed my car, all the windows were blown out. I was so high and, and messed up the night before that I left my laptop bag in the back seat. You can't leave anything in your car in Chicago. People like wander around looking for stuff. Well, I am a writer and that was three years of writing gone. And because I was so messed up, I left the backup in that same laptop bag with my computer. Three years gone, I started crying. God spoke to me loud and clear. He said, Lisa, that could have been your effing life. Get back into recovery. And I listened and I did. And have you been sober since? I've had a couple lapses, but I've gotten back on the beam. I was faced with potential homelessness at one point. I went back and got into recovery again. And it's been really strong. It's a daily reprieve, meaning that, you know, I have this tendency to want to numb out my feelings or, you know, act, treat reality, being afraid to feel uncomfortable feelings. But I've had to learn and be very patient with myself. And I think that's a key of resiliency too, is for you to give yourself loving kindness. Don't kick yourself when you're down. You need your love. Yeah. You need the love of the universe. To, to love each other, to love ourselves in different seasons of our lives. Yeah, to become your best friend. Mm -hmm. Nobody can know you like you. And 
you're given, you're given this time on this planet to learn who you are and to get in touch with the gifts that you were given so that you can connect and share that with other people. That's beautiful. And do you feel like you're in alignment with yourself today? Absolutely. Mm. I'm not perfect. I still have my moments. I still have, you know, uh, thank God I, um, those, those manic episodes, I, I take my mental health and my recovery very seriously. So I, I have to take my medication religiously and I'm not on heavy drugs anymore. I'm on the right cocktail. Right. After <laughs> a know? year of experiment. And, yeah. And I still go to recovery groups. Mm. I like to be of service to other people and that keeps me resilient also is wanting to help sharing my inspiration, my experience, strength, and hope through what I've been through. How does I'm very it open well? about my story, as you noticed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. What does it feel like though, when you're confronted or faced, you know, in a situation with a younger woman who's going through similar situations that you've gone through and you perceive them through your lens, how does that feel? It feels, can, uh, can you say that in a different way? I'm not sure I'm understanding your question. When you're working, because you work with people who are going through mental health struggles and obstacles and challenges and addictions, when you meet them and you're working with them and you hear their stories and you witness the pain that they're going through, how do you perceive them? How do you see them? I see them as individuals. I see them as unique souls here on earth to find their path, which is different than mine. And everybody's recovery journey is different. And the best that I can do is to be a living example and to inspire them to keep going and that they're not alone. Do you see a lot break, of, and to break the sticks of mental health and addiction? Mm, I love that. And it must be easier for them to relate to you because you've gone through it. I think so. I hope so. You know, my work as a coach um, really stemmed from my observation that recovering addicts are even addicts that are not in recovery, we're the most focused, determined people on this planet. Why? Because we used to be focused, laser focused on getting our drug of choice. Nothing stopped us. Now in recovery, we can redirect that energy. We can become resilient and we can do whatever we set our minds to. I've seen it time and time again with my coaching clients and with people in recovery groups. It's amazing, amazing. I love it. Okay, I have one last question. <laughs> to know, have you ever gone back to a Kundalini yoga class? No, I'm scared shitless of that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anyone talk about having an experience like that. I didn't know there was different levels of, I'm always so curious about kundalini yoga I, I don't know either I just know what I experienced in it it was it was intense it was really intense it's like everybody in that room 
the Kundalini was risen in all of our spines, you know, all at once. We were a hot mess. <laughs> Great. That's great. I'm so grateful for you uh, sharing your story and being so open and candid. Um, can you share with our listeners uh, a little bit about what you're doing now? You mentioned having a book coming out or you've written a book. I'm working on a book project right now, which is 12. It's called Restore Us to Sanity, 12-Step Inspired Prayers for addicts with mental health conditions. Mm, that's beautiful. I'm also, thank you. I also do coaching. I help people discover what they value mm. and to live a value-driven life and to look at areas. I, I devised a four-month program to look at things like boundary setting, support, who you hang out with, surrounding yourself with positive people, uh, embodying affirmations, mm -hmm. looking at wealth, prosperity, abundance, and worthiness, and seeing how all of that That's is a big one. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. All of Lisa Joe's information will be in the show notes. Thank you to our listeners, and have a wonderful, wonderful day.